take us live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside my good friend and colleague, more colleague than good friend today, mm. Hercules Gomez. Hi, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Great to be with you on this Thursday, the 13th of January. And Herc, if our production meeting this morning was any indication, uh, this should be a fiery, fiery episode. Uh, when is it not spicy, fiery, whatever you want to call it? Uh, lots to talk about today, Sev, as always. Well, whatever nonsense Herc uh, spews throughout this show, make sure to listen back to it on the Football Americas podcast. And we do have, as you said, Herc, a lot to cover. The U.S. women's national team dropping their roster. Julie Foudy is going to join us a little bit later on to discuss that. We got some big games and some big news out of Liga MX to follow up on. Plus, Herc, your first True love, the Major League Soccer Super Draft. I can't wait to discuss that a uh, little bit later on in the show. But right now, so uh, let's kick things off by welcoming into the program Alex Pareja. I should say, welcoming back to the program Alex Pareja. Uh, you've obviously seen him, seen him here on Football Americas. You've also heard his voice. Uh, he calls games in English and Spanish uh, for La Liga here on ESPN+. Alex, great to have you back with us. Welcome. Hi guys, it's great to be back on your on your show, especially if we are talking about La Liga, right? Of course, you're the, the perfect, perfect guest um, for this moment in time. Because right now it feels like a lot of CONCACAF's finest are having almost like turning point career moments centered around teams uh, in Spain. So let's start with the case of Serginho Dest. And it's a curious and kind of frustrating case, I think, for, for U.S. fans. Um, he seems to be falling, guys, further and further out of favor with Barcelona and the new manager, Xavi. The latest evidence came on Tuesday when Dest was left out of the team entirely as Barcelona fell 3-2 in extra time uh, to Real Madrid in the Spanish Super Cup. Uh, so the question then becomes this. Is now, I mean now, this January transfer window, the time for Sergio Dest to leave Barcelona? Alex, what do you say? Yes, it's time for him to go. It's time for him to leave if he wants to get more competitive minutes. And uh, he's not going to have that with, with Xavi Hernandez. The last red flag, the ultimate red flag, was the signing of, uh, of Dani Alves. He's 38 years old, and he's been the starter at the right-back position. So that says a lot about the lack of confidence that Xavi has uh, regarding Serginho Dest. Uh, and if, if Alves is the first choice in a back four, uh, it's even more complicated to Serginho Dest to adapt to the system, the, the other system that Xavi is going to try to implement in Barcelona that we saw yesterday in the last, uh, in the second half or even in the, in the extra time against Real Madrid. So he uses just three defenders, not three center backs and wing backs. No, 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 just three defenders. And for that right side position of the defense, uh, he will pick uh, for, in this order. First, Dani Alves, then Araujo, then Piqué, then Eric Garcia, and then Oscar Mingueza, all uh, before uh, Serginho there. So for that reason, he needs to live, uh, and, and I think it's good for him. Uh, he needs more competitive minutes. He cannot get stuck in this dynamic at, at Barcelona. And also, there's an economic uh, reason for both of them, for Barcelona and for Serginho Dest. Uh, Barcelona are in desperate need for cash, you already know that. And Serginho Dest is one, just one of the few players that they can sell for a fee. So, uh, as they say in, in Spanish, blanco y en botella, it's usually leche. So, blanco y en botella, leche. So if it's white and it's bottled, that must be milk. <laughs> Uh, it's got to be milk then. Uh, listen, the writing was on the wall, right? Uh, Ronald Koeman 
actively recruited him when he was uh, for the Dutch national team. That didn't transpire. Goes to Barcelona, mm -hmm. brings him to Barcelona. Uh, Ronald Koeman pigeonholes him as a right winger. Ronald Koeman leaves, and you just knew he was going to be labeled a Ronald Koeman type of guy. Mm -hmm. Ronald Koeman goes, Serginho des is soon to follow. Especially with Xavi, he doesn't seem to transmit that confidence to Serginho Dest that he's going to ride with them, that he's going to give him the opportunity to grow. Uh, he's looking for somebody already a little bit more made or from La Masia, which is fair. But at 21 years of age, I'm with Alex. You have to play. You have to continue developing. And the most important thing, and the best thing about this is, He's got an open market. This is a mm. player that had the biggest teams in the world after him, that still has some of the biggest teams in the world after him. So uh, whether it's in the winter or summer, hopefully sooner, this winter, he's got to go, and he's got to go now. To the point you make about the money, very, very interesting, Herc, because now there are reports coming out of Spain. Remember, Barcelona wanted 35 million euros. Now, apparently, they're willing to come back down to what Chelsea had reportedly wanted to offer, which was more in the 20 million euro range. So that changes the dynamic entirely in terms of whether he could move. I found this also very interesting. Sport, a Spanish outlet, reporting that the decision to leave Dest and Umtiti out was really like a signal to them that, hey, you are not in the plans uh, for the future. That, to me, signals a very, like, aggressive stance from Xavi. And we heard, what was it, maybe three or four days ago in, in the German paper Build from Dest's agent who said, no, he's going to be there. He's not leaving in January. But I would just have to think that at this point, with how negative this is going, um, it really seems to be like Serginho Dest is almost not wanted at Barcelona. And, Alex, I know that you've heard some comments from Xavi that you think were almost thinly veiled messages to Dest, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned in a press conference that he was surprised, negatively surprised by some players that he was expecting them to understand, to know what the uh, possession game and position game uh, of Barcelona is. And, and he was uh, mentioning, without referring their names, to both Frankie de Jong and Serginho Dest. Uh, mm. they, they both come from Ajax, which share that similar philosophy around soccer from Barcelona, that, that uh, very uh, versatile players, smart players that can read and understand the game and occupy positions that are not supposed for them to be for them. Uh, and this is not happening. Neither uh, Frankie de Jong nor Serginho Dest are living up to the expectations that Xavi had uh, on them before he met them. So that's why that's yet another sign for, for Serginho Dest that he needs to live. Uh, Herc, I have to ask you this very quickly before we move on to Tecatito, because you said that Dest to Chelsea would be a disaster. So one word answer, the disaster at Chelsea or staying in Barcelona? Oh, ah. <laughs> not so easy. Chelsea. I still Chelsea. say Chelsea because your insurance okay. policy. You okay. know, at least at least there they have to keep you there. Maybe they'll just use you. Yeah, at least and, and at least there they want you. Right. Uh, that might be the most important thing of all. All right. So let's move on to Tecatito, who looks, guys, like he's finally, finally going to get that ticket out of Porto. Uh, as first reported by our colleague Rodrigo Fáez, he was going to sign a three-and-a-half-year deal uh, with Sevilla earlier today. We saw pictures of Instagram. He was on a plane heading over to Spain. Uh, finally did make it to Seville, where he was presented with his, his new jersey, guys. He's going to wear the number nine. Very exciting stuff. Uh, the reported transfer fee, just $3 million. But remember, there are only a few months left 
on his contract. So, Alex, this is a really good Sevilla team. They're, they're second place in La Liga, only five points behind Real Madrid. They're in the Europa League. Let's be honest, they're a favorite for the Europa League just with their, their recent history uh, in that competition. They got a lot of good players in the positions that Tecatito, you figure, would play. Um, does he have the quality, current, present-day Tecatito, who struggled with Porto and the Mexican national team, to make a significant impact with a team as good as Sevilla? I have no doubt about him. Uh, he's a Lopetegui man. Lopetegui managed him uh, a few years ago when he was coaching Porto, and he fell in love with him. He's been asking for him over and over to Monchi, who is the technical director of, of Sevilla, the, the guy who hires uh, players. And Monchi is like a dating app, was swiping and showing <laughs> and, uh, Lopetegui other options. But Lopetegui stuck with his first love, which is Tecatito Corona, and he's he's gonna have a, a an, an immediate impact on the team uh, because he can play in so many different positions. He's gonna, I think, Lopetegui wants to use him as a right winger, and that will allow uh, to move uh, Ocampos back to the left side because now they're missing two potential right wingers as as Lamela and Suso. But uh, he can also fit on the left flank, and he can also play as a false nine, and he can be the new. Jesus Navas. So when, whenever you need a wing back or you need a, a more offensive fullback, you can play him there as well. So he's going to be a very useful uh, Swiss Army knife for Julio Lopetegui for sure. Okay, let's take a breath for a second. Let's let's go back to what was the last six months for Tecatito Corona. Some of the worst six months, actually not some, the worst six months in his professional career. A lot of is, is right, and you're right about that, Alex. Mm -hmm. Was Porto was Sergio, Sergio Conceição, the coach, and the toxic environment that was created by him not being allowed to leave. Whatever the case may be, whether it was Tecatito's fault, Conceição, or Porto's, it was a toxic environment for him, and it bled into his play. It bled into his play with the club team. It bled into his play with the national team for Tata Martino. Tecatito Corona right now, can he make an impact based off talent? Yes. Based off form, confidence, that's where I have my doubts. There's Nobody's doubting the talent that Tecatito Corona has. The last decade in Europe, you'll find fewer players with more assists than the Mexican international. It's today. If you saw him play against the U.S. men's national team in Cincinnati, he was one of the worst players on the field. Can he step in immediately into this team where both their wingers are two of the leading goal scorers of the team? Two very good players. And Papu on the other side. A, a very good Sevilla team. A very tactically disciplined Sevilla team. I don't know. I have my doubts. Talent-wise, yes. Confidence today, I don't think Tecatito's the same player. Just like with Des, though, you can tell he's wanted here. Let me, let me read you this quote from Lopetegui, okay? This is what he had to say about Tecatito. Man, this is like... This is from the heart, okay? The prototype is Corona. He is one of my weaknesses. I mean, this is truly emotional stuff here. He has high capacity to control the game in offensive situations. So this is effusive praise. This was from a couple months back when, when obviously, he was asked, Lopetegui, you know, what would you like in, in the transfer window? So he's clearly had his eye on him. And how about this? We could see Tecatito maybe, maybe, maybe play his first minutes in the Copa del Rey, round of 16 against... Real Betis. So, okay, maybe a, a, a all-Mexican affair there. From the national team perspective, Herc, probably important to note this, because um, you guys both touched on, on the possible positions. There was a moment where I was like, well, I really want him to play the position that he plays on the national team, because that's what I care about. But the truth is, you mentioned it, Herc, 
Things were so toxic at Porto. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if he plays get right back in a back four. Get him playing. Get him playing at a Navas decent is level. 36 years old. He could potentially come in there and be productive. I, I don't care where he plays either. Get him playing. And you mentioned age. Tecatito's 29, right? So he's running out of time to kind of take advantage of, of this peak of his career. And again, World Cup year. The Mexican national team with Raul Jimenez maybe fading a little bit, with Chucky fading a little bit. They need Tecatito. Mexico needs Tecatito to turn things around. Another player that Mexico could maybe use to have a, a breakthrough 2022, none other than Diego Lainez, who we know has been really struggling, guys, uh, to break through for playing time with Real Betis. Now, he's been reportedly looked at as a loan option by a few teams in Spain, but the most recent report actually takes us to Italy. Torino are apparently interested um, in the young Mexican player. Uh, Alex, what do you think? Would Serie A be a better fit than La Liga for, for Diego Lainez, who has really struggled to get those minutes uh, with Betis, and specifically the case of, of Torino? Because i got to admit, I don't know much about that team. Uh, I, I think that he needs to leave in order to have more, more playing time, but Serie A is a good destination for him. But not Torino, not Torino, my friend, because Torino never use wingers. Torino uses uh, three at the back and wing backs, and they, they don't use any offensive wide players. So that is like, I don't know, uh, loaning out a, a, a sports car to a family that only uses minivans or SUVs. <laughs> they're going to get it, of course, because it's flashy, because it's new. But guess what? They're not going to use it. They're going to mm. have a ride any other Sunday, and that's it. So he needs to have, uh, same as we were talking about Tecatito, of course he's a different uh, stage of his career than, than Tecatito. He's way younger, but he needs to, to play and he needs to improve. And Italy could be a good, uh, a good place to, for developing uh, Diego Lainez, but he needs to choose wisely. Why don't you go uh, to a team that plays with wingers? You, can, you have many options in, in, in Serie A and different, different uh, positions. So you have Lazio, who played 4 3 under Sarri. Uh, you have Sassuolo. Uh, Fiorentina. You have a, a lot of different teams. Fiorentina, exactly, that are using Callejón. Uh, or, or even Napoli, uh, as well, that they use wingers. But please, don't go to Torino, don't go to Udinese, don't go to Genoa. Those kind of teams that are with, that defending with five on the back, and they would only use him in central positions. And this is not where, where uh, Diego Lainez is better at. So, let's go back to his America days. And let's go back to Miguel Herrera and saying he's not ready to leave. These procesos. Uh, my worry for him is exactly what you're touching on. It's the next decision. The next team. He made a mistake because he had the choice of Ajax and he had the choice of Betis and he went to Betis. Maybe Betis was more money. Maybe it was a bigger transfer deal. But Ajax may have been the place where he could have best developed. And we see what has happened for Edson Alvarez there since. So the next place you go is somewhere where, like Alex said, has to play in your favor with wingers in a position you can thrive they got to get you on the field and you have to find a team that's going to help you score goals because by my count that's 1,179 days I since his know. last league goal I know I know <laughs> uh, hey uh, before we get out of here before we get out of here I got to Alex ask Alex one more question okay you don't like Torino let me throw out some of the other listed reports where he could be on loan Espanol Elche Mallorca are any of those very quick answer good fit to you Oof, I would say Mallorca, but none of them are very offensive teams, but I would say Mallorca.
All right, there Matthew he is, Hockey. Alex Pareja. You can listen to him in English, you can listen to him in Spanish, My but man. every weekend he is calling not one, but multiple La Liga games for us on ESPN+. Plus. Alex, great to have you with us on the show. Take care, guys. And, of course, the uh, Spanish Super Cup finals coming up on Sunday, Real Madrid. Facing off against Athletic Club Bilbao, that one Sunday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2 and right here on ESPN+. You point out the ball winning. I will give you that. Weston McKinney is an elite ball winner. There's something about him defensively one-on-one -on -one, that I think is very, very good. In this game, I don't know which game you were watching. I don't think he got on the ball a whole lot. He had 41 yeah, touches. Typical Weston McKinney 41 fashion. 41 touches in this game. Let me compare that. Edson Alvarez, in his game, 91 touches. 41 touches to 91 touches. The reality about Weston McKinney in this game is that his biggest contribution to the Juventus attack is the long throw-in. That's how he's most helping the attack are before you, he comes are off. Are you telling me you're going to compare Edson Alvarez in a game where they won, what was the score? I'm going to compare 91 touches to 41 touches, yeah. In a 1-1 one, one tie every day. to a, what was it, 5-0? Five, five You know what they say about Seb. Oh, there he is. The when curse. he's wrong, he's wrong. <laughs> uh, so that was the October 25th, 2021 edition of Football Americas. And ever since, Weston McKinney has been in fuego, Herc. Okay. Are you going to apologize? Because you wanted him <laughs> off the national team. You wanted uh, him off the team. I don't know how many pundits I came across that were like, throw this man out. He disrespected the no, team. No, 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 Et cetera, no. et cetera. He did it in Italy. Okay. Jokes aside, different conversation, different, different conversation. Jokes aside, jokes aside, how good has my man been? Unbelievable, unbelievable. Can I just say one thing in my defense? Yes. One thing in my defense. I went back and looked at some of the ratings from the from the Inter Juve game that we, that we were talking about on October 25th. McKinney was rating right around a five for everybody, so it wasn't his best game. Now, if you look at the Gazzetta dello Sport ratings. For the Inter Juve Italian Super Best Cup, one. where he just scored <laughs> the goal in a 2-1 defeat against Inter Milan, he was 7, which was Juventus's best player. So it really has been a, a remarkable turnaround. It has been, and it's a testament to, to him, to the player, and that's what it is. I mean, any other player could have crumbled, could have said, I let my national team down, this isn't a good moment for me, and hid. He didn't. Uh, immediately since, whether it's club or country, he's represented. He's come up big with goals, with contagious play, with his two-way play. Uh, at this moment, I've got no issue in saying he's probably the best two-way player in all of CONCACAF. Mm. Wow. It, it, it's, 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 that, it's that good of a player. What Hector Herrera was in his prime, uh, he, he's more than that right now because he's proven it at a higher level. And with his national team, and I've said it many times, he's more important to me today than Christian Pulisic. He, he's been that good this year, or this past year, I should say. Uh, Weston McKinney, by all means, since that, uh, I should say, that um, bad event, that unfortunate event mm -hmm. with the national team has been lights out. Um, let's talk about it from a Juventus perspective, though, because you remember when he made the move from Schalke, everyone was like, what? Ju Juventus? Like, is, yeah. is, is this young player really ready for, for this big level? Slowly but surely, he's become, you know, a part of the team, a part of the rotation. Now, I mean, they played, what, three games in six days, and he has started all three of those games. Do you consider Weston McKinney now an, an immovable piece for, for a club like Juventus? I do. I don't know if that says more about Weston McKinney's play or more about Juventus' current state. 
but he is an immovable player. You look at Rabio, you look at Betancourt, Locatelli maybe the only one that I would say you're not moving, but in general, you're not going to move Weston. Those other guys aren't going to move him. Weston's been so important. Maxi Allegri today isn't just getting rid of Weston McKinney. Uh, there were reports of him wanting Weston McKinney out or maybe leaving or maybe selling him. That's getting a lot more difficult. There have already been bids for Weston McKinney. It's going to take a lot more than, than what they're bidding. $25 million was the last one, I think, something like that. Weston McKinney's been very, very good, and there's a reason Conte has likened him to Arturo Vidal. Yes, that Arturo Vidal, that two-way player. Yes, that Arturo Vidal that was contagious. That was defensively a lot of bite that got on the end of things because he's been that good. So I don't think anybody's moving him. Yeah. Immovable piece might be strong. He started 12 of 21 league games, right? So it's not like he's starting literally every time out for um, Juventus. To the point you mentioned about potential transfers, though, can I just read you a list of Premier League teams that have been linked to this guy? You love the Spurs. Premier League. Everton, Leeds, Wolves, Newcastle, Southampton, West Ham as a, as a replacement potentially uh, for Declan Rice. And, as I've said before on this show, Weston McKinney himself has said that it's his dream to be in the Premier League. Mark my words, Herc. I believe sooner rather than later, Weston McKinney will be in the Premier League. I don't think he's a long-term piece at Juventus, but more because of the money. Because what you there said, you go. there's That's a market for him. And That's Juve needs is. money. Not, not just that there's a market for him, but specifically, uh, we know Italian soccer has suffered over the pandemic. We know big clubs like Juventus has especially suffered. So I, I think there's a move for him in, to the Premier League and, and probably not that far off. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on because we got to keep it going. If things are going well for Weston McKinney in Italy, they are not going well for our good friend Chucky Lozano. He got sent off in the 84th minute, Herc, of Napoli's 5-2 Coppa Italia round of 16 defeat to Fiorentina. Listen, he tested positive late December. This was his first taste of action of the new year. Gets red carded immediately after coming on, and it's not looking good. You've got the Mexican national team are going to play against Jamaica. He's also suspended for that game. Card accumulation, tough times for Chucky Lozano. Yep, came on in the uh, 64th minute. And uh, he was gone 20 minutes later. They're out of the Italian Cup, which means you can also say goodbye to some playing time opportunities down the road. So uh, not a good day at all for Napoli or the Mexican international, Chucky Lozano. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Pumas starting the season in style. Five nothing victors over Toluca in their first game of the campaign. Should note that Toluca suffering through quite a bit of COVID issues. And it was actually only one nothing till the 61st minute. Pumas scoring three goals in eight minutes. All that said, look, it's been a, a pretty good run recently under Andres Lilini, including that uh, semifinal appearance 
uh, last go around. So, Herc, what do you think? Is this version of Pumas for real? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. And there's a reason I say not yet, because... You said a few COVID issues. They were ravaged by COVID. 11 players with COVID for Toluca. Pumas took advantage of that. They played very well at home, got another clean sheet. They're a very good defensive team, one of the better defensive teams last year. But they didn't score a lot. I know they scored five this game, which is awesome, which is great. But on, in theory, on paper, they've gotten weaker. Eric Lira, one of their best players, was sold to Cruz Azul. No reinforcements, no refuerzos. No new players, no signings, and it's the first game. I understand. You showed me the last 12 games. Their last 12 games in, 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 in Liga MX play, they went on a huge run, and guess where it got them? 11th place in Liga MX. They had to go on that type of run to get into the repechaje, to get into between 8th and 12th position to go into Liguilla, to have an opportunity to play against America, their rival, and they did well against America, but I think it's more America than Pumas on that one. So and it, and it, I think you said it as well. You said it as well. But Pumas, Lilini, I love what Lilini's doing. Mm -hmm. I love the message. But I don't think Lilini would be that successful elsewhere. What do I mean by that? Roberto Hernandez, Morelia coach, who's very good like Lilini. Where is he now? Guatemala. If you put Lilini in a team like Tigres or a team like Monterrey with big stars, I don't know if you get the same results. Very good coach, yes. But this team, this Pumas team, he's known these kids since, guess what? They were kids. Yeah, it's not just the five nothing though, right? I think we got we do have to talk yes, about what credit. they did in Ligia last year. They 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 dominated. They outplayed America, who was number one in the regular season. And honestly, they were right there with Atlas, the eventual champions in that in that semifinal. So and and oh, if you look at, back at some of those referee decisions, maybe Pumas <laughs> have a case uh, have have a case to 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 be in the final. Um, who's more real for you? One word answer: Pumas or Chivas? Because we asked this question about Chivas last week, huh? Uh, Chivas. Chivas, okay. Um, the goal four, goal number four for Pumas was from Jorge Rubalcaba. Great story here. Mexican-American kid, 20 years old. A couple years ago, he's playing high school ball at Colton High School in California. He signed with Pumas in July of last year and wearing the number 198. Uh, he gets on the score sheet. Awesome stuff. I love that. I love when you go triple digits, debut, and a goal. That's a dirty finish, by the way. Opens up the hips, gives him the eyes. What a golazo. So um, it's an interesting story, right? I, I think it's a fascinating story. Herc, actually, when I first heard it, I, I thought of you. It, it reminded me quite a bit of, of your story kind of coming pro. Um, what does Rubalcaba's tale, his development path, tell us about development here in the United States? A lot of different things. Um, our country's so big. There are going to be cracks. Players are going to fall through the cracks. Uh, but also players have more pathways of making it to first-team mm. soccer, of making it mm. to professional football. What do I mean by that? Back when I played, you didn't have everything you have now. You didn't have the MLS academies. You didn't have the USL. You didn't have Major League Soccer itself trying to scout elsewhere. You didn't have foreign foreign teams coming to U.S. soil and setting up shop like academies, like Barcelona and Arizona, or like, Pachuca in a lot of different cities uh, in, in, in the U.S., or Pumas for that matter, or Alianza, or college soccer, or club soccer. There are more avenues today of getting noticed uh, within U.S. here in the United States than there were before. That tells me that, but it also tells me that maybe we're still not doing a good enough job of, mm. of casting that net. Yep. If a kid's good enough for a team like Pumas, and say what you will about Pumas, it's still a very big club within Mexico, and he's getting on their radar, why couldn't he get on your radar? 
Yeah. Well, who is your, I guess, is the question, right? Like, who is specifically, is it is it MLS as a blanket organization? Is it one club? Should it have been the Galaxy? Should right. it have been LAFC? But, but the real thing is, I don't think we have enough professional teams. Like, we don't have enough jobs for everybody. That's kind of the point at the end of the day. Um, there are USL jobs. There are MLS jobs. But... This player is clearly good enough to play, probably in MLS, certainly in USL, and yet none of those teams could find a player like this when he is literally playing in their own backyard. And, and he wasn't a secret, right? He's playing high school ball, so you know he's tearing it up there. He's in the papers. Beyond that, he was on a development academy team. This isn't a kid who, you know, wasn't able to access elite youth development in the United States. This kid had the pathway, and yet still people in American soccer seem to have missed on him. So uh, there's something to be said there, but it's a great story for Jorge. What, what an incredible tale that six months ago you signed and now you're scoring for the first team. Uh, so we saw Brian Lozano's goal. The other goal in that game from game came from Carlos Salcedo, uh, a very late equalizer as, uh, as Tigres and Santos uh, shared the points there, though. But Herc, here's the news on Salcedo. Now multiple reports linking him to a move to Toronto FC. So the move from Liga Mekis to Major League Soccer. What do you suppose that would mean for his already, I think we have to say, unclear future with the Mexican national team? Well, let's see. Uh, Julian Araujo is probably the last Major League Soccer player to play with the Mexican national team, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was minicamp. That wasn't full team. Okay. Yeah. Jonah Dos Santos before well, that well, had, has had a Jonah pretty significant Santos, role. Okay, Jonah Dos Santos, how'd the last year go for him? He played very limited time with Tata Martino. Uh, Alan Pulido, no time. Uh, Pizarro couldn't get back in there. Chicharito can't get a sniff. Uh, we're seeing a shift in dynamic where if you're an L3 player, Major League Soccer, if it's in your future, the men's Mexican national team is not in your future. Mm. I don't know if there is a correlation there. I don't know if it's significant enough enough for us to to really delve into it. Well, wouldn't you but, think that Tata Martino, knowing MLS, having had the success that he had in MLS, you, what would, I will would value you, the league? Seb, or are you saying he doesn't? What I will tell you, Seb, is he doesn't have the luxury of being a forward. If you're out of sight, out of mind, and it's Major League Soccer, you're just out of sight. It mm. can't be like, hey, Chichet just scored another goal. Look at the goal. I can see the goal right here. That's another highlight reel. It's another assist, another goal. You're a center back. They're not going to pay attention to what TFC does. If, if Tata Martino gets criticized already for not watching Liga Mekis, you think, really you think he's going to spend his time watching TFC? Mm. There, there, there seems to be a shift. And right now, Johan Vasquez in Europe. Nestor Araujo is playing consistently for Salta de Vigo. Cesar Montes is in the best, just, I guess, football of moment. his life, right? A yep. moment of his life. Uh, there seems to be a shift moving away from Carlos Acedo, even though I think he's the most talented of them all in the pool. But I don't know if Tata Martino feels that. I don't know if the coaching staff feels that. We had him here on this show. He seems to think that's all behind him, the little plate, the little mishap he had with the, with, with the coaching staff. I don't know if that's the case. Hmm. So Carlos Salcedo then could be on his way out of Tigres, but there is some good news for Tigres fans. Reports of a new stadium, Herc. Are we going to have to say goodbye to El Volcan? That's, that's going to be a sad, sad day. Uh, $320 million, the sticker price here. I think a, an expected attendance of, what, like 65000 to, to open in 2025. Are you going to shed a tear for El Volcan or what? I, I will. $320 million privately funded dollars. That's the mm. key right there. How beautiful is that? And, and, and listen to this. 2025? What's in 2026? Could you be trying to get a game away from your 
heated rival if there is a game, a World Cup game in Monterrey. Wow. That would be amazing. Uh, unfortunately, we don't know. Maybe the things will be decided by then, the dates, and it'll be too late. Uh, Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus Saturday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's Leon against Cholos. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Time to air some grievances. We got a whole segment of Are You Cool With It? Uh, let's start with Santiago Solari down in Liga Mekis, who's given a one-match ban, Herc, for his behavior, which led to the ejection against Puebla in the season opener. Are you cool with it, the one-match ban for America's manager? No, I'm not cool with it. You, you get a match ban for, for saying you're an idiot to a referee. You get a one-match ban for that. You're going to get a one-match ban for running onto the field? And, and literally, like, get in the referee's face. You got, like, any other person besides Santiago Solari, anybody else within Major, or within, I'm sorry, Liga Mekis, a Mexican coach would have been, they would have thrown the book at him. And Miguel Herrera said so himself. Mm -hmm. I know. It's Miguel Herrera. I know he's got priors. My man's got priors. I understand this. But there's a point to what he's saying. There's a double standard when it comes to foreign coaches like Santiago Solari in Liga Mekis. They seem to give them the benefit of the doubt always. And we've always heard this narrative. America gets the calls. Well, here you go. Mm. America, mm. Santiago Solari, only one game? No. He's a first-time offender, Herc. What did, what did you want? <laughs> what, what number of games would you have been satisfied with then? Minimum two. I mean, you got you okay. to understand where you are. You got to understand, like, read the room. Okay. Anything above the minimum would have been satisfactory for you yes. then. Just the fact that it was only one yes. um, was your problem. All right. Let's move to Major League Soccer. Actually, a place where Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis could meet. That's the CONCACAF Champions League. New York City FC, of course, earning their spot, thanks to the fact they won MLS Cup. Well, guess where they're going to be playing their home games, Herc? That's right. You guessed it. Makes total sense at Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles. That is, of course, because Yankee Stadium is not CONCACAF approved. Herc, are you cool with it? <laughs> I'm cool with it. I don't know if you should be cool with it. And what I mean by you is Major League Soccer fan, New York City fan. Uh, Yankee Stadium is not available. That's your number one stadium. Mm -hmm. City Field, your number two isn't available. Why are they available in, in CONCACAF's eyes? Because they're not approved stadiums because they're baseball fields. So Red Bull Arena, where you played actually in this tournament versus Tigres, isn't available either because it's being remodeled. So you have to go all the way across mm. the other side of the United States on the West Coast and play in California, in L.A. Major League Soccer champions. Their own stadium, Seb. Mm. Do you want to say it? Their own stadium. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for New York City FC. It's embarrassing for the league. Your, your MLS Cup champions, the team that you are sending to represent you in continental, international play, doesn't have a viable stadium? I'm sorry. I'm so, that's, that's like the most embarrassing thing. New York City FC has to get this figured out because you know what, Herc? 
they're clearly doing a lot of things right. You don't just you don't just stumble into an MLS Cup title. They're clearly doing things well. It's this issue of the stadium that just continues to be problematic. I do I do really feel for the New York City FC I do fans. Because well. if you're a New York City FC fan that's hung around all this time and your team won MLS Cup, the prize, one of the prizes is hey, we might get a really big club coming here for CONCACAF Champions League. And not only is it, it's like not in your stadium, it's not in your city, it's not in your state, it's, it's not even in your part of the country. This is horrible for New York City FC's fans, and it's horrible for the manager. Ronnie Dyla, one of the first things he said hurt after MLS Cup was how excited he was to play in CONCACAF Champions League. This puts them at a huge disadvantage, doesn't it? It's a huge disadvantage, it's embarrassing, but more than anything, I mean... It's Don Garber. It's it's everybody presuming that Major League Soccer is going to be a top league in the world and their mm. stadiums aren't even approved by their own confederation. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be uh, very interesting to see how this affects New York City uh, FC actually on the field of play. Maybe they like Bank of California. Elsewhere in Major League Soccer news, the uh, MLS Super Draft, Herc, this week, actually Tuesday. Expansion side Charlotte FC taking Ben Bender out of the University of Maryland with the top overall pick. Uh, Herc, every year, talk of the Super Draft being outdated comes into play right around this time of year. A lot of people say, hey, most kids that get drafted here end up uh, in the USL. So are you cool with the MLS Super Draft both as a mechanism and as an overall production and event? No, I'm not cool with it. You want to talk about embarrassing? I've got no issue with college soccer. It serves a purpose within the U.S. soccer pyramid, okay? It, it can serve its purpose. But let's say college soccer, for the sake of argument, is somewhere between the third and fourth division if we were going to separate the pyramids and professional, I guess, leagues within the United States. Okay, you so that? you're saying like USL League One and down is what and, you're saying. And down, okay? okay? Could you imagine any other proper footballing culture doing a third and fourth division draft? <laughs> we're going to market it package it and sell it and put it on TV and it's, here it is for you in this grandioso event and we're going to do all this hoopla and it's what it is. Does it serve yeah. a purpose in the pyramid? Absolutely. College soccer, not the draft. This is just silly. You're like, what are we doing? It, it, there's no need for it. There was a need for it back then? Sure. But don't package it like it's the NFL draft. Don't package it like it's the NBA draft. It's not. That's just what it is, right? It kind of feels like this is a a, a, a leftover idea. I mean, there's some great moments, right? You know, they get Beautiful. the families, they get the kids together on Zoom, people who haven't seen each other in years. Um, and there are some very special moments made. It's not to, to, to poke at that. But generally, it feels like an idea left over from the 90s, right? Like, hey, we're MLS. We're coming into the American sports scene. What do American sports do? Uh, they have drafts. I, I just wondered too, Herc, like, is there any justice in a draft? You know, if I'm an American player, should I be told that I got to go play for the San Jose Quakes? What if that's not what's best for me? I, I just feel like in, in other countries, the players have a little bit more choice, and that's going to help you prolong your career. The player at the end of the day knows what's best for them, don't they? Not, not the league, not some organization. Yeah, yeah, the players knows what's best for them. Uh, also, if you're an Another second division player, USL players have happens to be a very good USL player, and all of a sudden you see the number one pick or you see some other first rounder and you realize what they're making. You're like, wait a second, I could have just mm. stayed in school and done that, but then I would have been by some ways uh, stalling my own soccer or footballing development. It's, it's a catch-22. It's, it's, it's kind of silly. And there are, of course, always her exceptions and like spectacular exceptions in the case of somebody like 
Daryl DK, who we now know. exceptions um, to the rules and everything. Totally, Podolski totally. used to be a second division player and made the World Cup. So uh, throw that stuff out the window. Okay, let's uh, stay on the theme of MLS strikers. Not great news here, uh, not for Sporting Kansas City or Mexican striker Alan Pulido. A knee injury we are now learning will cost him the entire uh, 2022 season. Just so sad, Herc. It is sad. The worst part about this is it's a World Cup year and he had mm. real aspirations of making it. He, he was a participant in the 2014 World Cup, didn't play, so I know he really wanted that badly. But the worst thing is he was actually very good for Sporting Kansas City when he was healthy. He was a very productive player in terms of goals and assists, very important player for their system, and he's a DP. So this is a player that they're not going to get, even though it's a season-ending injury for him, they're not going to get to replace him with another DP. Yeah, and that's the thing you always talk about, right? When you put all your eggs in a basket like you do with the DP, MLS rules kind of demand that you do. Uh, if that player doesn't work out, or if that player in this case gets hurt, um, you are really at a significant disadvantage. And I've, I've kept thinking the last few years, uh, Sporting Kansas City is going to break through here. They're going to break through here and win an MLS Cup. Uh, Alan Pulido's injury really makes me think that uh, that's not going to happen in, in 2022. Let's run it back, Herc. Marcelo Flores. Boy, you fought like crazy to keep this out of the show with your anti-youth <laughs> national team ways. Marcelo Flores with a goal for Arsenal's under-21 team. I don't understand. Why do people keep talking about this kid? Why is that even play for the first team? There's a reason why. He's already played for the Mexican national team. And every time I see him play, he's purposeful with his actions and the way he moves and the way he tries to hurt you. Goals and assists. He doesn't dance in the ball. He doesn't play for the crowd. He plays for the scoreboard. Mm. All that's left, that first team debut. Can't wait for it. And when it happens, rest assured, you'll hear about it right here on Football Americas. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Black Donanovsky and the U.S. Women's National Team have dropped their roster for an upcoming training camp January 19th through the 28th down in Austin, Texas. Everybody focused on Trinity Rodman. That's one of the big names there, accepting her first call. But, boy, this is a young squad. Nine players under the age of 25, 13 players with 12 or fewer caps, and just 10 Olympic holdovers from the Tokyo Games. For more on the U.S., we welcome back to the show for the first time in 2022 World Cup and Olympic champion Julie Foudy. Julie, Happy New Year. Great to have you back with us. Let's go. <laughs> happy New Year. 2022, starting off with a bang. Let's go. Let's go. It should be a very big year uh, in the world of women's football. Of course, a World Cup qualifying coming up. Now, let's go back to 2021 a little bit here, Julie, because there were a, not just one segment. There were probably a few segments last year where we asked you something to the effect of, you know, which young NWSL player you most excited to see mm -hmm. break through with the national team. And your answer was always, <laughs> always Trinity Rodman. So now we finally have her. Um, what does she bring to the national team and what can we expect from her in this 2022 year that is, again, a World Cup qualifying year for the U.S. women? 
energy, a youthful exuberance, speed, skill, she can finish, she's feisty, I mean, all of the above. Uh, and um, I, we've seen her do it in her first year in NWSL, helped the team to a championship, rookie of the year, she's won the accolades already. She just hasn't had any games with the U.S. Women's National Team. They're not gonna have any in January, of course, it's just a training camp. But I think it's important, and this is where these minutes become valuable, and missing all those veterans, you can become comfortable in that this is a setting that is probably a little bit less intimidating without Alex Morgan, without Megan Rapino, no Tobin Heath, no Kristen Press, no Sauerbrunn. You go down the line of all these legends and all mm. these veterans, no Carly Lloyd, of course, she retired. And I think the goal in all of this, and especially with Trinity, is get some minutes, get some time together and see where they're at. And I know I'm not the only one that's very excited to see her in the red, white and blue. We're all excited to see Trinity and I think that's the thing. She's taken up a lot of attention and rightfully so. But what other player is out there that could potentially make an impact this year considering positional needs and maybe directly coming in competing for a spot? Well, gosh, with all those veterans missing, literally you could go her to any line and say, okay, well, this player is going to have to have a good tournament and this player, but I, I'll go to that center back position because this is an interesting one. Becky Sauerbrunn is out with an injury. Abby Dahlkemper, as we saw in the Olympics, replaced by Tiana Davidson at the end. Uh, and we've seen recently Vlatko Andunovsky going with the combination of Tiana Dif uh, Davidson and Alana Cook. So two youngsters have played at Stanford. Add a third youngster into that mix in Naomi Gurma, who just came out of Stanford as the number one pick in the NWSL draft, playing for San Diego. Uh, and female athlete of the year, soccer player of the year, last time before Trinity Rodman got it. So this is a player who we haven't seen on the full women's national team, but she has been a mainstay on the youth national team. She's done a tremendous job collegiately and is so good in that center back position. So with those three from Stanford's youngsters coming in, it's going to be interesting to see that rotation where Abby Dahlkemper fits in. And then if Becky Sauerbrunn comes back, where she fits in as well. But this is a big camp for, for Naomi, I think, uh, and her chances going forward with the U.S. Women's National Team. All right, for those that keeping track at home, that is multiple Stanford mentions in there uh, for Julie Fowdy in the same <laughs> answer. So props, she's, uh, she's always getting it it's in. It's a drinking but, game. Come on, Sonny, right now. Um, let's transition to some Federation talk here. Uh, we've got uh, some big news around U.S. soccer. They've announced recently that the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, Julie, uh, are not <clears throat> willing to commit uh, to doing the same contract, right? To doing kind of the, the same deal or on coming together to equalize the prize money, which we know that FIFA prize money and the difference between uh, what's given out for the men's mm -hmm. World Cup and the women's <clears throat> World Cup is a, is a huge part of the problem right now when we talk about that equal pay disparity with the U.S. women's national team um, and U.S. soccer. Uh, this is something that, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you've been a proponent of in the past. So what's your reaction to this news? Well, U.S. soccer is making it very clear. And Cindy Parlo-Cohn, the president, put out a letter saying such that, look, this is our path forward, is we are going with equal contracts, and that includes FIFA World Cup prize money. They do not want to do a negotiation or CBA that doesn't include that, and they've made that very clear for months now. Uh, she also put in there a little jab at the men's team of, 
hey, and we need you all, as you said, you want this, you're all for equal pay, then get to the table and make it happen, meaning she wants players to be part of that process. And from my understanding, there hasn't been a ton of engagement on the men's side uh, in terms of player involvement. Um, and I think that's going to be the sticking point, obviously, is that chunk of FIFA money. I have made the argument that, yes, of course, for the men's teams, because uh, FIFA argues that, yes, the men's World Cups and events bring in more money. They're going to give more to the men. The women argue, listen, because of systemic discrimination, it's not our fault that you haven't been promoting the women's side of the game for decades and decades. Had you been, we'd be making more money. You could also argue that the U.S. women's team brings in more on the sponsorship side because of their popularity and their success at the international level. So I think if you put it all into the pot, split it evenly, and you can get both, that's the challenge, both teams at the table, and that's what they're saying, they want to get there, I think that's going to be the path forward. And U.S. soccer is saying that will only be the path forward. They do not want to sign a contract that's not equal. Well, they say equal, but Cindy Cohen also said equal pay doesn't mean equal so there's a big different a difference there there could be a percentage of which from my understanding the women do not want and and also by the way the men haven't had an active cba since 2018 they've been practicing right. playing working yeah. without a cba since 2018 so there are a lot of there are a lot of yeah. different things going on right now at the helm of, of these discussions but the most important thing is u.s soccer is taking everything out of their own hands and putting in to the players mm. hands it's it's you and the men, the women and the men, figure it out type of deal, which is almost a tricky place to be on if you're on either spot of the table. I, I, I think you're right, Herc. It is a tricky place to be at. But I, I think that there is a solution forward. And I, I just think that finally they need to go to a place where everyone's supporting the other team. If the men does well, do well, the women do well. If the women do well, the men share in that. And we can go, as we've talked about for so long, one nation, one team, which it really hasn't been. There's been a lot of infighting in that. Then this is the solution forward. And I hope the players can help them get there. Julie, one more thing on the Federation docket. We've got the, the presidential elections coming up. We've been talking about it a lot on this show. Uh, I have to get your opinion here because you were on the air with me in the She Believes Cup at the beginning of 2020 <laughs> when I had to read that statement from Carlos Cordero. And what, 24, 48 hours later, uh, he resigned as president of U.S. soccer. I wonder what you make of Cordero now uh, entering the race for this year's presidency. Yeah, Sebi, I, I was shocked, honestly. I mean, he resigned on um, embarrassing terms in terms of uh, he says, look, I, I didn't know that U.S. soccer was going to use that language uh, in the lawsuit I, and apologize for it had I seen it. And look, this is an argument that had been made for months in deposition. So I think I said it that night on air. I don't buy that. Um, because they were well aware that that was going to be the argument that men are better physically as players and stronger and faster, therefore it's not equal. Um, and so for him to have what I almost see as arrogance to come back and say, I'm going to be the one that fixes this, and then mm. his, in his letter to say, because they haven't resolved all these millions in lawsuits. Well, those millions in lawsuits were under his watch and often started under his watch. So um, Cindy, actually, Parlo Cohn, has done, I think, a very good job of wrapping up the lawsuit they had with U.S. Soccer Foundation. They got rid of that. She brought in a new CEO. She's changed, as we've seen, 
a lot of the culture within the Federation, I think they should honor that and let her finish this as a player and as a woman's player who knows how best to get to equal pay um, and understands it. And I think she's on the right track to get there. So I, I, I shake my head at this. Um, I hope that uh, the Athletes Council and other members that are voting are going to see that the way forward in all of this right now, I think, is Cindy. But um, I just think it's uh, it's a surprising move by Carlos Cordero, uh, for sure. I, I, and I just was, <laughs> I was blown away when I saw it, honestly. Yeah, it should be a very interesting buildup to the uh, annual governance meeting for U.S. soccer in March in Atlanta. <laughs> all right, Julie Fowdy, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Julie. One more thing before we get out of here. History. Oribe Peralta, who just turned 38 yesterday, has announced his retirement from professional football. Over 200 goals during his club career in Mexico. Two World Cups with the Mexican national team. I think that the top Oribe memory for a lot of people is, of course, at the Olympics in 2012, the gold medal match against Brazil. He scored not once, but twice in a 2-1 victory. But Herc, you actually played with him yeah. at Santos. So give us a little color, some of your memories of Oribe. We're around the same age, about a year apart. Listen, there are no stories when it comes to Oribe Peralta. He was just a humble, hardworking guy, a mm. guy that started playing football and for eight years had a journeyman-like career. It took eight years for him to break through. When somebody finally gave him an opportunity, when Santos Laguna, his home team in his hometown, finally gave him an opportunity, he became an idolo. Two championships, tons of goals for Santos, okay? World Cup, Gold Cup, Olympic glory. Mm -hmm. He's the epitome of perseverance, of working hard, of staying humble. Nobody that knows Oribe will ever say a negative thing about him. He is an example for everybody. A true nine, goal scorer, back to goal, combination play, everything you would want, and one of the best teammates I've had. Uh, I know everybody remembers the gold medal match, and, and they should, but can I tell you, I was actually thinking about this, and I think there's another Oribe goal which I celebrated louder. And I think that's the goal at the 2014 World Cup. Remember, Come you know, on. Mexico limped, yeah. limped into that World Cup. And, and of all the World Cups of my lifetime, I think that was the one where I thought I was the most nervous that Mexico wouldn't get out of the group phase. If you remember that game, it was, and you saw the images there, it was played in like a, just a soaking rain. And, and Mexico had had multiple goals disallowed. And there was this feeling like, oh, it's, just, it's not going to happen. And finally, he gets a rebound. I think it was a Gio dos Santos shot. And, uh, and he put it in there. And the rest uh, is history as Mexico made it out of the group phase like they always seem to do. All right, that's it for this edition of Football Americas. For Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. I know after the, uh, the last show, we promised you uh, an interview with Pedro Caixinha. Don't worry. Don't worry. We still got it. It's still in the oven. Uh, you will hear it next week right here uh, on the show. That's it for us, Herc. What you wearing? Neptune FC, baby. You believe.